being a millennial, being born in a time where like your whole life is there's climate change, there's not going to be social security, you can't buy a house, your college is too expensive. Like that has been my reality since I've been little. And it's just like, okay, I want to take all of that seriously and actually do something about it. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today is Katie Fahey, the executive director of The People, which is a national nonpartisan political reform organization. Katie is the activist who, as founder of Voters Not Politicians, led the successful grassroots campaign to ban partisan gerrymandering in Michigan. She's now bringing the experience she gained in that state using the ballot initiative for reform to others trying to do related work in other states. I asked Katie about how she came to attack gerrymandering and why she set her sights even higher now. She's an excellent guest. You should listen. So after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Katie Fahey with The People. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from Timeplots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Timeplots Library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. Katie, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Sure. I'm Katie Fahey. I'm the executive director of The People. I come to the democracy field because I made a Facebook post back in 2016 that said, hey, I want to end gerrymandering in Michigan. If you want to help, let me know. Smiley face. And my journey starts from there, where then we figured out how to write constitutional language, gather a bunch of signatures, and then pass a constitutional amendment for an independent citizens redistricting commission in Michigan. Just like that, you slayed the dragon, as I hear. Yes, yes. <laughs> as they made the, the movie about you. Can you tell me a little bit about how you grew up I and mean, what the prehistory was of before you get to that Facebook post? Sure. Yeah. I grew up in a suburb of Detroit. Didn't really talk much about politics. I kind of knew how my parents voted, but we were pretty service oriented. My dad worked with veteran programs in Detroit and we had a lot of, I guess, good governance or or kind of like the positive aspect of politics. I felt like we, we dealt with a lot. And then I went to the west side of the state in Michigan to Grand Rapids to go to school. I actually studied sustainable business, which is like environmental, social oriented business practices and community leadership, which is basically like a public administration degree. But uh, the school I went to was Dominican. So it had like a Catholic social teaching element to it uh, and started off in the grocery field, actually um, helping a large grocery chain figure out what could their sustainability program look like? And voted, but really wasn't involved in politics at all until that Facebook post. What was going through your head the day of that Facebook post? What was 
what was pissing you off about gerrymandering or the political system or whatever was going on in the news? You know, it was interesting because the 2016 presidential cycle had two of the most unpopular candidates we've ever had running for presidential office. Yet I was starting to see that a lot of my friends and family who normally don't vote or even pay attention to politics were really interested in it. They were getting really excited, registered to vote, standing in line for hours to see candidates. And that had me excited. So I was just kind of observing and looking and seeing. And what I noticed is that my friends and family who weren't normally involved in politics really were being drawn towards two people, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. And I tried to think, you know, is there anything in common between those two? It really was kind of like this sentiment of the system's so broken, we have to throw it out. We need a leader who's going to come in and either drain the swamp or have the political revolution. And for me personally, I wasn't necessarily as drawn to that just because I felt like our problems were bigger than one candidate could solve. But again, was really excited to see friends and family there. Well, after the election, those friends and family who had been having thoughtful debate soon turned into like, you voted for this person, you're evil, you voted for that person, you're evil. And it all kind of started getting really ugly, honestly. And I just kept thinking about, you know, that observation I had made that I actually think we're all really sick of the system. Like, it seems like a lot of us just feel like the system isn't working and that there's a lot of energy behind that. And and maybe if people knew there were other ways to fix the system, maybe we could stop arguing about who we voted for and like do something together. So I made my Facebook post not actually thinking it would lead to anything. Like it was kind of out of frustration, kind of out of like, hey, here's an idea to try and see what's going on. And then a bunch of people started responding to it. Unfortunately, my friends and family who didn't vote before, at least in the beginning, didn't even really know what gerrymandering was. But it turned out there were a lot of strangers that I didn't know online who also had been kind of like me seeing these flaws in our political system and who were ready to do something about it. I find it a little curious that you weren't on one side or another of the partisan divide. Is that true that you weren't? Or how did you place yourself then and now? Yeah, I'm definitely a political independent. I've never found, you know, one party or another, the whole like loyalty or or even like tribalism of parties has never been what what's helpful for me. I think that's why I actually hadn't gotten involved in politics before, because it seemed like the only options were like, you have to either go volunteer for Camp A or Camp B, and you can't just volunteer for Camp America, as cheesy as that sounds. But I, I really think that's what it was. So, you know, I ended up voting and obviously had to vote for candidates who are of one party or another, but, you know, still felt very much independent and still today I'm very much independent. Of all the things that are challenging or not right about the system, why did gerrymandering top the list for you? So Michigan really is a pretty purple state. About 50% of our voters vote for Democrats. About 50% of our voters vote for Republicans. It kind of just depends on like what election year is it and how are people feeling. And what that meant, though, was that we've had both Democrats and Republicans gerrymander our state. And regardless of who is doing the gerrymandering, the people of Michigan were falling behind every single time. There was a little bit of background to this, too. Uh, The Flint water crisis, which I think most people at least heard about in some passing context, had been going on. And I was on a team that was kind of trying to help look at, like, how do we fix an element of this? And basically, there was a whole bunch of people pointing to other people saying, this is your fault. This is your fault. And it didn't seem like anybody really cared about how do we prevent this in the future. 
And what was interesting is that the voters actually almost prevented it, of course, without anybody consciously knowing that it would lead to such a disaster. But the people in Michigan had tried to overturn a law and were successful in doing that. And then our newly appointed legislature found a loophole to reinstate that law. And I was freshly out of college and I just kept listening to the news reports and I was like, how? How do our elected officials think that it's popular to undo the thing that 70% of us just voted to get rid of? And as I started digging deeper, that's when I really saw that's because of gerrymandering. Basically, the majority of politicians in Michigan, once they made it past the primary, they knew that their district was either for sure going to vote Democrat or for sure going to vote Republican. And so they weren't scared of the average voter. They were only really scared about how do I win my primary? And then they were more beholden to people who could pay more money or were of a different agenda or whatever it was. You also saw, though, too, that like no matter how much of one party or people who voted for one party or another came and, and voted that way, that it really didn't matter with a gerrymandered system, too. You know, you could have over 60 percent of people voting for one party, yet the other party has a super majority in our state house and our state Senate. And just seeing that over and over and, and again, like kind of doing the analysis of like something doesn't feel right here. It just felt like until we can get more accountability and until we can get these politicians actually being afraid of our vote again and being afraid to lose our vote and also working hard to keep our vote, it just felt like we were going to have all these uphill battles, no matter whether it was around water or schools or roads or anything else. I am absolutely confident that the course of knocking out gerrymandering and putting in an independent commission wasn't easy. Do you want to talk me through kind of what the story there was? Yeah, it definitely was not easy, especially because I had no idea what I was doing. So, you know, all these people respond to my Facebook post and I was like, oh, shoot, like I have to actually think about doing something about this. Like that was not my plan. So I quickly Googled while at work, how do you end gerrymandering? Because I had no idea. I knew I didn't like it, but I actually had no idea what the solution was. So I, I started running across a couple things. One, that pretty much the solution to ending gerrymandering is you have to change who's in charge of deciding voting districts. Right now in most states and what used to be in Michigan is politicians get to draw those lines. So you got to change that. You also have to change what are the rules that whoever is drawing the lines have to follow. And then you also need to change the process in general. The process tends to be, you know, done in secret. Literally, there were like some states that had bunkers where like people would go and hide with their lawyers so other people couldn't know what data was being used or information and districts are being voted on at the last minute. You had to completely change that, bring it onto the open, because unless people trusted the system, that was actually another part that has to improve for, for democracy to become stronger. So I kind of figured that out. And then we also figured out that in Michigan, we have the citizen-led ballot initiative process. Now, only about half the states in the country actually have a citizen-led ballot initiative process. But thankfully, people amended our constitution back in the day to allow citizens to come together write constitutional language, gather a bunch of signatures, and then the people of a state could directly decide for themselves whether they wanted to amend their constitution or not, as long as at least 50% of them voted yes. So we kind of saw like, okay, here's an opening. You know, there was another step that I often tell people who are thinking about like, how do I make change? You know, 
the, the ballot initiative process seemed the best to us because it seemed like our politicians weren't interested. But we also could have thought about litigation and trying to sue to say like, hey, these maps are really gerrymandered and are disenfranchising people. Or we could have also tried to work with the legislature. But as we did our homework on both of those things, neither really solved the problem. And it was pretty clear our legislature wasn't interested in any kind of solution that wouldn't just help their party. And so then once we kind of knew like, all right, we have the citizen-led ballot initiative process, those three big chunks of write language, gather a bunch of signatures, get 2.5 million plus people to vote yes on this. We started working backwards and figuring out like, how do you do any of that? Including like, do we have to become an organization and not just a Facebook post? Like, this is going to cost a lot of money. Like, we need to open a bank account. But we started organizing into committees and just identifying what are our shared values as people who are fighting on this together, which was really that, you know, we were here to only do this one task that we wanted to make sure that everybody was fighting for a system that wouldn't disenfranchise any Michigan voter based on who or what party they vote for. And that we were going to make sure that it was truly for by and of the people of our state. Um, and, and so I'm happy to go into detail on any of those aspects. But yeah, we really just kind of started figuring out who can help figure out what of these pieces and and looking and seeing like, okay, you know, I, I have marketing experience or I've been a teacher in the past or I've been a lawyer and then plug people into where the campaign needed those skills. I'm interested in how you are the leader of that, right? Like in a certain sense, you're a kid at the time, you know, an adult kid, but a kid, like you're a clear speaker and you made the Facebook post, but you know, that's, that must've been a decision along the way. How did that go? Yeah. You know, it's a decision I really pushed against for a really long time. <laughs> I kept, uh, a lot of people kept looking to me as a leader. Cause I was kind of giving directions. I was like, okay, we got to figure out committees. We got to make a website. Like I had a lot of planning and volunteer organizing experience in my background. So I think it was natural for me to just be like, all right, we're solving this problem. But I kept being like, I don't want to lead it because this isn't about me. This is about like, how do we make our state better? But what I started to notice and what a lot of people, um, especially, so Jamie Lyons-Eddy was our amazing field director um, at Voters Not Politicians. Uh, and, you know, she one day had a conversation with me and said, you know, you, you've already been doing this and people need it. Like, you are so clear in the fact that we have to at least try. And that's really scary for a lot of us. And for me, why we had to try is that like the lines were going to be drawn in 2020 based on the 2020 census, no matter what. So the worst that could happen is that we maybe look silly, we waste some time, but at least we tried. Um, uh, and then the lines are going to still be drawn and be gerrymandered for the next 10 years of voting. So we are like stuck with another decade of politicians being unresponsive, which means more Flint water crisis can happen, but also all the other things we're going to deal with. You know, at the time, we didn't know that the pandemic would happen and all of that. But like just all of these really major pieces that can happen in a decade are up for grabs. But if we actually can do something about this, like, oh my gosh, 9.9 .9 million people who live in Michigan will now for the first time ever have a chance at representative democracy. We could actually hold politicians accountable for the first time in at least 60 years in our state. Like, if we actually try and we can succeed, it is so worth looking silly or wasting some time. And like, I didn't feel like we had a chance to not do that. And that is what I saw that like a lot of people are kind of like really worried about either looking silly because everybody is telling us it's impossible because you're going up against the political establishment and all the other reasons. But the other part was, again, like just that urgency. I think being a millennial, being born in a time where like your whole life is 
there's climate change, there's not going to be social security, you can't buy a house, your college is too expensive. Like, that has been my reality since I've been little. And it's just like, okay, I want to take all of that seriously and actually do something about it. The other end of that, though, so inside of the organization, I'd say a lot of people kind of saw me that way already. And a lot of them decided they wanted to get involved because I was unafraid to be involved, which I really didn't understand until a lot later. But now I realize that's a really important aspect of leadership. But then dealing with the other organizations that were kind of already in this space, because there's probably at least 17 organizations as we were doing our research to figure out like who else wants to help and gerrymandering, you know, that had been doing work for years, some of them for decades and trying to do this. But a lot of them were, you know, traditional, really great organizations, good governance organizations, but with people who did this professionally and who were kind of like, you are so naive you are young and excited, but like, we don't trust you to be strategic. We don't trust that you're going to not screw this up. Or like, you know, we think that you're too nice to everybody. So you're going to like fail because you're letting too many people in the tent kind of thing. And that hurt us, especially in the beginning. I think reporters didn't take us seriously. Our opposition didn't take us seriously, which ended up, I think, working in our favor. But unfortunately, like some of the people we were trying to partner with didn't either. And there were a lot of moments where it was a really tough, decision for me too to decide, you know, am I still the right person to be here? Because I didn't want us to fail because of me (laughs) at any point. Do you see a particular turning point where you did start to get taken seriously? And why did that happen? And when? Yeah. So there's a couple of different hurdles that we kept hearing over and over again about. But one of the biggest was that nobody can gather. So to qualify for the 2018 ballot, we had to gather 315,654 registered Michigan voter signatures in 180 days, which is a huge feat. Um, when I first Googled that, that very first day when I was like, how the heck do we do this? You know, I was like, okay, if I quit my job and spend every single second not sleeping and just gathering signatures, like I can't do this even on my own. Like I will not be able to sleep. And even if I gathered one signature a second, it would not be enough kind of thing. And so gathering signatures in Michigan had traditionally been very expensive. You can pay people to, you know, stand on the street corner and gather signatures, but this is millions of dollars. And again, we are starting with like, oh shoot, we need to get a bank account. So zero dollars. But one of the things we did while writing our constitutional language is we actually wanted to hear from all of the people of Michigan. So we went across our state to each congressional district at least twice and held stuff online and all that. But asking people like, first of all, do you like gerrymandering? Do you like that politicians draw the lines? Because if the, if the majority of people did, I was like, you know what, then did that's democracy and we got to go with that. But, you know, like me, a lot of people did not like that and wanted change. So we asked them, like, what do you want in this? But while we were doing that, one of the biggest pieces of skepticism we got from people who were in the crowd were like, look, I'm great and excited to be giving you this input, but isn't it impossible to actually make change? And we would break it down for people and say, you know, well, we do need to gather all these signatures, like at least 2000 a day, ideally like three or 4000 a day. But if we get at least 600 of us who are willing to gather 17 signatures a week, we can actually do this ahead of the deadline and have more than enough signatures to qualify. But it will take actually, you know, a couple hundred of us having to go out every single day, making sure we're making progress on that. And so as we started to do that, we started to see internally, like us who are volunteering with this, especially Jamie, who I mentioned earlier, we were like, oh my gosh, a lot of people say they want to do this. And as we did the math, we're like, we could do this and we could do this really quickly. And we have volunteers across the entire state, which no campaign had ever had. But a lot of those other folks were like, but you guys don't have millions of dollars. You've got like $10,000, $20,000 and printing petitions alone cost 
$40,000. But that's another thing where we went back to people and we kind of tried to crowdsource it and said, you know, if we can each find four friends to give $10, we can actually pay for a lawyer and for our petitions to be printed. So nobody really believed us when we launched that we could actually gather these signatures. But again, like everything we were seeing, the excitement from people on the ground, we had thousands, like literally like 4,000 people signed up to gather these signatures, which was more than enough as long as we all did our part. And so once I, th- I think it was like maybe two weeks in or three weeks in and we did a press announcement to be like, hey, we gathered our first 100,000 signatures. And again, we only needed 315,000. We ended up gathering 428,000. But people were like, what? Like, that can't be true. But why would they be doing a press announcement if it wasn't true? And we had reporters asking us that. And that's when we start- started to see the first little turn. But once we actually turned those signatures in and they were um, sometimes, there's just a big scandal in Michigan where people you know, had people doing fake signatures. Candidates were getting thrown off the ballot for that reason because they, you know, had duplicates and all that. Ours was a 93% accuracy rate. And the only reason we didn't have 100% is some people don't remember where they registered to vote or signed on the wrong date or whatever. And we turned in over 100,000 more than we needed. And that's when people were really like, wow, these people are not only not naive, but they know how to organize. And they clearly are in touch with the people of Michigan. So people start to take you seriously. How did you start to feel? The pressure was on then, you know, up until that point, And this is probably the signatures was a little over a year of organizing, I think, is when we got those turned in. But quickly after we then had a lawsuit brought against us. And that's one of these moments. And if you do see the film Slay the Dragon, it's very embarrassing. I cry in it. But this is the moment where I'm crying. Because like up until that point, like we had been fighting against literally, like I said, partners, the media, our opposition, everybody kind of patting us on the head and saying like, that's nice. You think you can save democracy, but like, yeah, right. And so it kind of was like a like, we'll prove it to them. But I guess in my own mind, it was like, it was still less pressure if we failed because nobody thought we could do it anyways. But then we actually succeed. And then there's now thousands of people who are kind of like, we're all working together as a team. So if any of us kind of lets up or, or lets our piece of what we're helping do down, like you're letting down thousands of people, but because it was finally a reality that like we could actually do this. I mean, in a way it felt like we would be letting down millions of people who now wouldn't get end gerrymandering if we weren't successful. And so this lawsuit, you know, is brought to us and there were these stories coming out in the news talking about how like the Supreme Court members were getting pressure from their political party that they were going to get dropped if they didn't vote against us. And Republicans had most recently been gerrymandering and there was a Republican majority on the Supreme Court. And we then found out that the people suing us, that the wife of the person suing us had worked on four of the Republican candidates campaigns as their like treasurer or something. So like everything felt like it was against us. And if people hadn't been taking us seriously, then I think it still would have been just as scary. But then with all of that pressure, I think that was probably the hardest moment of kind of like, it's really literally up to these judges. All we can do is show up and remind them that we're real people and we're here. But like, man, if we fail, like, there's a lot of extra pressure there now, because there were all these stories coming out about how people like, finally felt like regular people could do something. You know, I had people sending me emails saying like, you know, I live in New Mexico and I've always wanted to run as an independent, but I feel like they can't get elected. But if you can get 100,000 people excited about gerrymandering, I'm going to at least try. And there was this open primaries campaign in Florida who had said, we've been going back and forth on whether we should quit or not, but like, we're with you, Michigan. Like, we're going to keep fighting because of you. And like, you know, it was was so exciting to see that people were realizing that they didn't have to wait for a superhero. Like they could make their own Facebook 
Facebook posts. They could find their own neighbors to organize with. But that's what, uh, getting back to your question, made it, I guess, that much. That was what was really different once people took us more seriously and heard about us is, is the pressure to fail. How did a documentary film group decide to follow you? When did that start? And how did you allow something like that to happen? Or what was the thinking on your part about that? Yeah, yeah. So Arc Media, um, they had been decided. So there was a book by amazing author David Daly, and it's called uh, Rat F, or like, you know, the F word. I don't know if you can say that on here or not. Yeah, it's called Rat Fucked. But yeah, it's Rat Fucked. <laughs> But there's a but it's printed with some asterisks in the title. Right? It is, yes. yes. Yeah. But so they had already decided that like they found this book and they're like, oh my gosh, this makes all of these elections make sense where you have one, you know, clearly the American people want one result and yet it's not coming out that way. And so they were already kind of on their journey doing that. Um, and it was pretty early on. And uh we had this amazing professor. His name's Kevin Deegan Krause. He, I think, teaches at Wayne State in Michigan. But you know, he was a really early volunteer of ours who had already been kind of like going around the state talking to people about gerrymandering even before there was a campaign to end it, just because he felt like people needed to know. And so, anyways, Kevin got contacted because I think they found him online or something because he did these really great videos explaining what gerrymandering was, and the book covered Michigan. So Kevin, being the amazing guy he was, he was like, you know, yes, of course I'll talk to you, but like you actually have to talk to these people, these voters, not politicians, people like they're the real deal. They're really cool. And so we hadn't even met in person yet because we had made the Facebook post in the beginning of winter and Michigan winters are very snowy. Um, so we we were all just Internet strangers still. And that's and they called and talked to me about it. And they were like, you know, we're considering different places, trying to just show what are people doing about gerrymandering. Now, unbeknownst to me and later they they let me know this, you know, they were really certain we were going to fail because everybody was saying we we're going to fail, but they wanted to be able to show like, you know, the nice feel good story of like citizens trying. But the other story they were following were from some folks in Wisconsin who were bringing a case against their maps that was going to the Supreme Court. So at the time, everybody thought, oh, this is going to be fixed by the um, U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, so they're going to be the winners. You know, we'll still follow these little people in Michigan. They're going to be the losers. But it'll be interesting to kind of show the ways that you can make change. So then I had to go back to our campaign and say, like, are we even okay with this? And there was a lot of details I needed to know, like, hey, like, is this going to be released so our opposition could, like, see how we're trying to plan and do this and, like, all that. And we had all the guarantees that wasn't going to happen. But at the same time, too, one of the things we had ran into is, like, there weren't a lot of examples of everyday people trying to make change. Whenever we went to look out, it was either like people with a bunch of money or interest groups who were trying to end gerrymandering. And we said, even if we fail, if we let this video group follow us, like maybe at least somebody could learn from it. And maybe now there could be a trail of showing people like, here's what we did right and what we did wrong. And so that's when we kind of as a leadership team decided, you know what, like, let's try as long as it doesn't take away time and energy from the campaign. And that way, hopefully, no matter what the outcome is, they can at least, you know, have on record like a way that we tried to do it. What was the election day like for you where this was being voted on? Oh, it was so crazy. You know, never volunteering on a political campaign before. There was so many stuff I didn't realize I didn't know. It was like, when do you know you've won? And it's like, oh, kind of like when everybody else does, like when the TV tells you. Same with we had a case that went to the Michigan Supreme Court. And that was another moment where I was like, wait, how do we find out? And we found out from Twitter, like what the result was, which I just was like, I feel like somebody should call you. Like, I don't know. But anyways, for election day, it was kind of like all those little details are finally coming to a head of like, oh, yeah, this is it. And so that day I went out and I did some door knocking in Detroit, went and got to actually vote. 
I went and voted in person because I just wanted to, but the experience of seeing something that you had just worked the last two years of your life, like I, I did not have any energy left or enthusiasm or like money. I had put, given everything I could to this campaign and then to just see it written and then realize that every single voter voting that day was also going to see that written and that like it really was just up to us, the people now. It was a really incredible feeling. And I just like took a second to like read the language out loud and like vote slowly, but really let that sink in. And then we had volunteers across the whole state. So they were all holding, like we all were door knocking or doing texts and phone banks all the way till polls closed and, and then having parties kind of locally. But the biggest one was in the Detroit area. And there was this moment where we're at the last poll and, and they closed and it just kind of felt like that's it. Like, I can't do anything else. I've done everything I possibly could from the moment I made that Facebook post to now. It's not up to us anymore. Like we've done everything we can, which was a really surreal moment too. Uh, and then uh, came back in. And honestly, whether we won or lost, I just felt really at peace. I really felt like I knew that the people of Michigan wanted this. And even if we failed, it probably would have just be been because of like, there were a bunch of ads with like, false information in them that had gone up against us. And, you know, but I knew that we really gave the people of Michigan a chance. And then when we finally learned we won, one of the other cool things is we had met other campaigns along the way. There were actually five states trying to end gerrymandering in 2018, several of them that were in ballot initiative states like ours. So in Missouri and Utah, oh, Colorado, sorry. So Colorado, uh, Utah and Missouri, and then Michigan. And all of their results were so positive. And it was like, oh my gosh, we all did it. Like all of us who have been working so hard. And so reflecting on that and then being able to talk about that, you know, I knew our journey wasn't over, but it was so exciting to think about like, I just immediately thought of the 13 commissioners that would end up being on our independent citizens redistrict commission. Of course, not knowing who the heck they would be, but I was like, it's in their hands now. Like we have gotten it here and now it's democracy's turn to, to do the job. Was it contested in the court's after the election or by the legislature? Not really, no. Like it was before they were trying to block us from going on the ballot saying that like it was too complicated for the Michigan people to vote on, which it was not. And so we stayed on the ballot. Afterwards, you know, our legislature tried to do a couple things. They tried to defund the Secretary of State's office, which we had put kind of like the, the budget for the commission in. Ended up not working, thankfully, but they also tried to then change the petitioning rules, which mostly didn't work also. And then there were a couple lawsuits that have been brought up since that have all been dismissed. So that's a pretty good foray into politics. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you've started something new. Tell me about that transition. Yeah. So I started uh, an organization called The People. You know, one of the things that really stuck with me is like already trying to talk to millions of people about gerrymandering and civics was already very hard. But at the same time, we had no help for figuring out like, how do we actually do this? Like what, how do you write the language? How do you gather the signatures? Like all of that we were building from scratch. And, you know, thankfully we got help from a couple different organizations or individual people along the way, but it kind of felt like if the right person hadn't shown up in the right moment, probably like throughout 30 different points in our campaign, we might have lost just because like we didn't turn in a form on time or like 
we didn't do campaign finance laws the right way because we misunderstood what was being told to us. And that felt like a really silly reason to not be making more progress on improving our government. And so I just felt really compelled at the end of our campaign that like, I want to pay it forward. I want to take all the lessons we learned, the connections we made, the tools we built from scratch so that they could actually be nonpartisan and just like help other people. And like I said, because we'd kind of gotten national attention by this point, I had so many people reaching out to me saying like, can you help me? Like nobody's helping me. And, and it felt like, you know, that might be a good way to continue on. And then voters, not politicians, there's plenty of work to make sure the independent commission got implemented well and that people actually knew what it was and how to participate in it. So we needed to continue our work in Michigan, but the people really ended up being a way that we could try and help more nationally on, on how do you organize, how do you do something in a nonpartisan way, and how do you make sure it really is led from the people who are going to be impacted, the people on the ground being the ones to drive these changes. So what is the people beyond you? Yeah. So we, we're a small organization. We've got a team of five, I think, or maybe six. We're doing a couple different things, but we're really trying to help build the tools that make it possible to organize and be able to have like really at scale collective impact from people, deliberative democracy, like how we went around the state and got that input from thousands of people in writing our constitutional language. How do we create tools to make that easier? We then also help people who are actually trying to do this. We help leaders get connected with either other people in their state, or we actually help them you know, make a campaign plan and figure out how do you take on this issue. And then we also help on just like specific projects that our different volunteers have across the country. And so that's got us in a lot of different places and happy to go into you know more specifics on any of those. I have talked to a guy recently who runs something called Equal. Are you familiar with that? It's, it is software for helping gather the signatures. Oh, nice. And it's a startup, but it's got a full product as I understand it. The guy's name is Jay Costa. It was a recent episode on the podcast, but that might be someone that, that like fits in with what you're doing. A hundred percent. There are also, there's like the ballot, the BISC, the Ballot Information Strategy Center and there are institutions in that space and there's other groups that uh, are working on helping qualify ballot initiatives. Usually I'm aware of the progressive ones, but it sounds like you're fitting into this in a different way. Yeah. I think there's two main ways that we're a little bit different. Like one is that we are genuinely nonpartisan. Um, There's a lot of groups and it's it's easier to get funding for partisan things. People want a guaranteed end result. A lot of people don't really love like actual democracy where the people of that place are deciding. They're kind of like, I've got the best solution figured out, so I'm going to do that. So it's really hard to find places that are going to help you regardless of whether your state is blue or red or purple, get a more accountable government. So I think we're really different that way. And then the other way too is a lot of the groups that are out there do really great work, but they are coming in once a group has proven themselves. So for us, we really didn't get help until we had, were already a year in and had gathered signatures. And there were so many ways that our lives could have been easier if we had help before then. And so like, we're really trying to figure out and help people along the whole way. But I think where we're most helpful is really in those very beginning stages. Like, how do I set this up in the right way? How do I even figure out what to do? Sometimes you have like, People who are like really well-meaning have maybe even a great idea, but just like don't know how to start. And so I think that's where we're kind of helping provide a little differentiation. How do you figure out if there's a group you don't want to help? Because not all ballot initiatives are actually democratizing. There are ones that are 
supporting corporate interests or other special interests or maybe wanting to take us back to less representative days, how do you make the cut to be someone that you work with at the people? Yeah, great question. We really kind of go back to where where can we be helpful? So if you're trying to run a campaign that is more of the traditional route of like, hey, we've got this corporate interest or this donor has millions of dollars and we just want to pay for the best consultants and pay to gather all the signatures, like we aren't going to be helpful. Our model is the exact opposite. Our model is how do you take the people of an area who are frustrated with a problem and activate them to be the ones who drive the solution and can also then, you know, make sure the implementation is followed and then hopefully figure out the next thing they want to fix together. So there's not really a natural fit when people are trying to do it more of the quote unquote traditional way. No, but there are people who might want to do it the way you did it, but are not small D Democrats. Yeah, yeah, not for democracy. Yeah, exactly. Well, we also have an issue scope. We really only work on good governance issues. It has to follow along that system. And then part of our process for helping people is we help them do a root cause analysis for a couple of reasons. But one is then it helps us and them see like, is working on this going to actually lead to the intended result that you want? If you want a government that's accountable and responsive, not every state is super gerrymandered. And so although working on gerrymandering might be great, it might not actually be solving the thing that you're trying to solve. It might be that actually you need independence to be able to vote in the primary in your state or whatever another good governance solution might be. So usually as part of that process, too, as we're going through it, you know, we're never going to say, like, you have to work on whatever we want to. I think that's one of the other problems that's out there is people pinpoint the exact solution and then force a local group to do that. But it's kind of like, you know, if there's kind of naturally a, here's the root cause, but you're working on something else that isn't that, like there's, you know, we have to be resourceful on how many people we can help. So we have a conversation from there. Some of the reform initiatives that are out there right now that are getting traction, at least as I understand it, are around ranked choice voting and some of the other revisions to the electoral system nonpartisan primaries, other independent electoral commissions or redistricting commissions like you did. Are those in the core of what you do or and what else beyond that? Definitely. Yeah. Ethics is another big one. Ethics and transparency around decision making and money and spending in politics, money in politics in general. Um, usually there's more of a route you can control the local elections happening in your state and where that money comes from, adding caps to that, things like that. Ranked choice voting, uh, looking at primary reform, a lot of things around election integrity and election access. So who has access to the ballot? What does that look like? Is a state resourced enough to be able to like provide adequate voting to everyone in the state? But also like, are they following best practices? Some of our really amazing volunteers, Fernando and Paul, created this tool called Votopedia, where you can actually look at your state and compare it to all other 50 states on a rubric of 17 different specific laws related to election integrity, so security and access. And you can see what other states are doing better on those fronts than yours. So not every state, you know, has a guaranteed audit that happens during their election process. Not every state actually checks signatures on mail-in ballots. Most do, but not all of them do. So we also help people kind of identify from there, like what are the ways you can strengthen the actual voting process or then good governance too. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with participatory budgeting, where people in a community actually want to help make joint decisions over how money is being spent or allocated, usually at like a city level. And there's some other things related to kind of deliberative democracy. What does that look like? You know, 
is there a way to get more states to actually have the ballot initiative process that don't have the ballot initiative process? Is there a way to make sure there's more public buy-in on different? So plenty, plenty of things that to keep you busy. <laughs> Definitely. There is a movement in the state legislatures in various places to make voting more difficult. In some cases to make the legislature the final determinant of the electoral vote rather than the vote of the people in the state. Any of those come across your desk? I mean, they do, but not like usually in a way of like, how do we prevent this or do something in the opposite realm for at least the like anything that's trying to restrict voting access to people or trying to make it less secure to vote or anything like that. So, you know, it's it's really hard because a lot of I think political reform tends to be defense, unfortunately, where something's already happened and now you're reacting to it. And I think the only way to really get ourselves out of this mess is to try to make space to be proactive too and fix these systems before they can be more manipulated. But we're definitely helping on both ends. So how do you raise money? How do you support yourself and your team at the people? Yes, it's it's definitely hard. Still trying to figure it out. You know, we started the people right before the pandemic, which was very hard to be a startup during. Thankfully, again, like Voters Not Politicians, which we started in Michigan, that like clearly focuses just on Michigan and helping our independent commission there, like doing pretty well, all those kinds of things. But a lot of it has been trying to talk to some of these really big funders in these spaces and build the credibility for people power, trying to help really show like, hey, here there are not only in Michigan, but there are other states too, where this model not only works, but it works better. Our proposal in Michigan in 2018, there were all these other ballot initiatives. We were the most well-funded, we had the most volunteers, and we had the most people sticking around afterwards to help implement and make sure it was successful. Sorry about my dog. <laughs> For those people who can't see, which is everybody listening, there is a large animal on Katie's lap right now who's right. trying to kiss her. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, so our, our commission also, we had, the, we had, you know, hundreds of thousands of people participate in drawing these new maps, which are now in Michigan. And so we're trying to really help show funders like this works. And also it requires two parts. It requires actually being for by and of the people, but it also does require making space for nonpartisan reform and for bridge building and for helping heal these relationships within a community, taking the time to actually talk to one another about what is the future that we want in our state. That's a really important part to our model. And a lot of foundations kind of separate those two things. They either have like their electoral reform program, which is very much like, how do we just get the campaign that's going to pass the reform we want? Or they have their bridge building, which is like, how do we bring people together to just talk, to talk to each other and repair that? And so we're really trying to help them get more comfortable with like, if you can do both together, it actually create synergy and you have people talking to each other, forming these relationships, then doing something together that improves the system that reduces polarization in general, that makes it easier for people to have more of that common ground. Katie, you've kind of made yourself into a political entrepreneur in the last bunch of years. Where do you want to go into the future? Do you have a vision beyond the people or with the people? If you're looking back 10 years from now, standard question. Where would you like to see yourself there and beyond? Yeah, I don't. I probably should have a better answer. I don't fully know. But the one thing I do know is I had this really powerful experience where, you know, I, I didn't bring this up before, but w when I made that Facebook post, I think for me, and even during the campaign, 
it was about can we make change, but it was also about like, is democracy even worth it? It just kind of felt really personal. It felt like, man, like if not enough other people are willing to actually care and try and fix this thing, like what are we doing? Maybe I should just go move somewhere else or just give up and let whatever is going to happen, happen. And the exact opposite happened. I mean, like democracy was truly proven to me, not only in seeing it as a reality of like watching Democrats and Republicans and independents and all ages come together and like thoughtfully talk about what could a better system look like where, you know, we took pieces from everybody's perspective and made a really great policy solution that has led to like this really phenomenal change in Michigan that was only possible because we had that diversity of thought, because we had diversity of political opinions, all thinking about different aspects of how do we really make this work for the people of Michigan. And then also I saw thousands of people, not just me, for two years of their life and now you know, almost four or five years of their life, give up their time, their energy, their money, their creativity, all without a guarantee of a better future because they saw that they could at least try. They could at least try to make a difference together. And so because I've had this really powerful experience seeing like, not only does democracy work, but it is awesome when it works and it's exciting and it creates better solutions than we can even imagine right now. I just feel like for the future of whatever I have to give (laughs) to this earth, helping strengthen that idea and helping make room to show people that actually when we come together, this can be a good thing. I think right now, a lot of people, it's really, and for good reasons, it's hard sometimes to understand people who do not vote the way you do because of how polarized and because of how the messaging is and because how we are made to fear each other. Like there's no possible way somebody could care about me if they vote some other way because it's all based on values or whatever. And it's just like, we have to let everyday people be at the center of these decisions and we have to make room for ourselves to actually co-create together. And so I hope to be helping inspire and create and implement technology processes, projects that just prove that over and over and over again so that we can get back on track into like improving our democratic republic instead of questioning whether we should even have one. You know, I was going to ask you some other stuff, but I think that's such a lovely point on which to end that I'm going to just ask you, is there a question that I should have asked you that I haven't? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know what the question would be, but the other thing that I like highlighting sometimes, maybe the question is like the thing I walked away with the most or something. What did you walk away (laughs) with the most or something? Yes. Great question. (laughs) It's not like I just started caring about gerrymandering one day. I had cared about it for years and years. But at the same time, I was always waiting for somebody else to do something about it. And it's funny because on social media, sometimes there's this thing where you can look back at things you had posted years before. And about six months into our campaign, I looked and saw that several years before I had actually made almost the exact same Facebook post that said, hey, I want to end gerrymandering in Michigan. If you want to help, let me know, like with a link to an article. And nobody even liked it. And also, I didn't do anything about it. I had that thought. I moved on with my day, like most things I put on social media. And that has really stuck with me as just a reminder of like, in these moments where just in your gut, you know, this isn't right. And I I don't want to live in a world where this keeps happening. Something has to change where you have to find that time to do something about it, even if it's small, but like, it, it really is up to us. And if we're all just sitting around waiting for somebody else to fix it, I don't think it will get fixed. Well, you certainly demonstrated that at the right time with the right leadership and team and the right issue, you might make a difference. And that is got to feel good. And I think 
your state is lucky to have had you in that moment, as well as everybody else it took to make it happen. So an honor to talk to you. Anything else you want to say? Thanks. No, just really appreciate the time. Thank you. That was Katie Fady. She's at thepeople.org. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. The Great Battlefield is now part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to learn more about other podcasts that cover democracy and civic engagement. You can also help me by leaving comments and good ratings on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and by sending me suggestions for great guests to nperlman at gmail.com.